The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hi Krishna everyone, you're listening to the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world, the late morning program with Namras. I'm your host and I'm here with Yadunath Prabhu. Yadunath Prabhu, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you, Raghunath, for having me on the podcast. I watch all the time. You <laughs> and Kastuba are my heroes. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's the wrong one. That's the wrong podcast. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, this is the late morning program. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, okay. Can before we start, then this is what I want to talk about. Um, only I, this, I think only transgender devotees should be allowed to initiate. I think only cisgender white guys should be in the GBC. No Indians should be allowed in ISKCON. Americans should have to chant 64 rounds a day. Only gay devotees should read homages on Prabhupada's Vyasa Puja. Cannabis should be removed from the list of intoxicants in the four regs. Vanaprastha should be eliminated from Varnashram uh, Dharma. Should I continue? No, no. Oh, my goodness. For those of you who don't know, Yadunath Prabhu is a professional comedian. He, well, he's, he works in improv. Uh, and I've known him for many, many years. Uh, just one of my, you know, favorite people uh, to talk to, uh, even though we haven't talked so much lately. But um, I always feel so much um, depth and uh, humor. And, and I just want to hear about Prabhu's um, journey in Krishna consciousness. So... We don't have to hit those intentionally controversial topics. No, no intentional ones today. <laughs> Just like the ones that sort of surface on their own. Right, right. Okay. Um, so, Yodhana Prabhu, tell tell us a little bit how you came in contact with devotees. And as and as for our listeners, as you already see, he's a very, very funny, very, very witty, and uh, just just uh, you know, you're gonna you're in for a treat today. Well, we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, how I met devotees is, um, I mean, I could give you the nutshell or I can tell you the, the whole story. Tell them the whole story, the whole story. Okay. Um, so what happened was um, I wanted a, uh, I, I always believed in God. My parents gave me a very um, deep, uh, just faith in God. <clears throat> but early on, um, like as, as, as soon as I was old enough to make the decision myself, I decided not to go to church. I was brought up Roman Catholic. Um, so I, I had a lot of issues with organized religion, you know, uh, and, and I rejected religion, but I did uh, still have faith in God. So I had this kind of one-on-one -on -one relationship. I would pray every day. Um, I, I did the Hail Mary and the Our Father, uh, from time to time, because I knew those prayers from Catholicism. Um, I even chanted Hare Krishna sometimes because I knew the mantra from George Harrison. Oh, Wow. And that looms large in my legend too. Like I was, uh, I was a big Beatlemaniac ever since I was in seventh grade. I was just heavily, heavily into the Beatles. So although I grew up in the seventies, I didn't um, develop a prejudice against Hare Krishnas because my thinking was, well, if George is into it uh, on some level, it must be cool. It must be right. legit in some way. So right. it's not that I followed his footsteps into it, but. Um, but he did legitimize it for me. So as I was getting older and I, I wanted to bring more spirituality into my life, I have a friend who's a disciple of Amma. Are you familiar with Amma? Amrita yeah, yeah, yeah. the hugging saint, right? 
Right. Um, so she said, you know, she comes to New York every year. She's coming in this over the summer. You should come and see her. She'll give you a hug and um, and you'll you'll feel it. So I said, okay. And I went and I stood online for a long time. And she didn't speak or anything, but she embraced everybody. And she rocked me back and forth. And she whispered something in my ear. I don't know if it was Sanskrit. It sounded like mumbling to me. I don't know what. And then she gave me um, a, a chocolate kiss wrapped in a flower petal. So I thought it was really cool. And I actually felt some potency. You know, I, I felt like something is, is there. So I went back the following year. And the following year, I think it was a few years that I went to go see her. And, I, and my, my thirst for spirituality was increasing more and more. Um, um, and I bought like a cassette tape. Uh, you and your peers can look up cassette tape. You can Google cassette tape and you'll know what that is. Oh, come on. I, I know a cassette tape, so I lived through that. You lived through cassette tape? Yeah. Oh, see, you're older than I remember. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, I got a cassette tape of uh, bhajans. They weren't her singing the bhajans. They were her disciples singing bhajans. Um, and uh, my, my friend who introduced me to her, said to me the next time she was going to be in New York, she said, you know, you can write down a question and give it to her and she'll answer you. Like not right then and there, but some mystically, you know, she'll give you the answer. Wow. So I wrote down something like, um, help me get closer to God or how can I get closer to God? Something like that. And she took the note and she gave it to one of her assistants and she hugged me and whatever. Uh, okay. So put that on pause. Um, 15 years prior to that, uh, I was dating a girl who went to school uh, in Manhattan, the School of Visual Arts, and she was taking classes with some devotee from Brooklyn whose name was Arthur. That's all I know about him. But they were talking about the Krishna thing, and um, and the, my girlfriend was, was saying like, oh yeah, you know, George Harrison, blah, blah, blah. My boyfriend is into the Beatles, blah, blah. So he gave her two books, which are now one book, Chant to be Happy. It used to be Chant to be Happy and Search for Liberation. Uh, now they combine them into one volume. She gave, he gave uh, her those books to give to me. And I read them at the time and I thought, oh, cool. And it didn't hit me. And I put them on the shelf. Now, fast forward again, 15 years later, in my memory, it was like two or three weeks after I had given Amma the note. But I was reading so, something, um, reading something that Amma was had been speaking, and she was talking about Krishna. So I thought to myself, "Wow, I wonder if I still have those Krishna books. Let me check." And I still had them, you know, dust collected and everything. But I still had them, so I reread them. And they really resonated with me. I, I started to get excited about it. You know, they say Krishna's in charge of timing, right? Yeah. So um, 15 years ago, no. Now, yes. So it got me really interested. And I was like, I, I want to try to get in touch with these people um, just to, to find out more about it. Um, so it was easy to find out uh, about the uh, um, Brooklyn Temple. Because I think it was listed in the back of the books. I don't remember if Tawaka was listed in the back of the books or not. If it, if it was, um, like I'd never heard of Tawako, I probably thought it was far away or whatever. Um, but I went to um, I went to Brooklyn, and um, it was some festival day, I think, because it was very crowded. And um, 
they were taking prashadam. So somebody introduced me to some devotee who was a little bit older and he had this very thick accent. I don't even remember what kind of accent it was. I don't think he was Indian, but it was something. And I couldn't really relate to him that much. And we talked a little bit, but we didn't really connect. And he said, why don't you have some prashadam? And uh, I, I had some prashadam. It's really interesting to look back on how Krishna sets you up for these things. Right. Devotees came to my uh, school when I was in college. I was only in college for a year. And in one of my classes, social studies or something, devotees who were on the college circuit at that time um, came to my class to talk about Krishna consciousness. And I don't remember almost anything that they said. I remember making jokes uh, <laughs> based on what I knew from George Harrison, you know? Uh, and, and they had prashadam at the end, and I don't remember what they served, but I do remember not liking the prashadam. Oh, man. You believe that? <laughs> I mean, it's a, sure, it's a sure sign of a demon, you know? <laughs> or the devotees didn't do their jobs correctly. I'm sure they did, man. I'm sure they did. Um, so whatever, but, but there was that. There was, you know, I worked at a steakhouse as a waiter. Because those of you who don't know, in order to be a successful actor, you have to be a waiter or a bartender first. That's just <laughs> that's just Really? No, not really, but a lot. But, but a lot of actors are, are waiters. And waiters. Right, right. So I was at a steakhouse, and for Halloween, they wanted everybody to dress up. So I dressed up as a Hare Krishna. I had very long hair at the time, and I got a, I bought a bald wig, and I cut a little slit in the back, and I pulled out my, my long hair as the shika, put a, a bed sheet around me, and I was serving tables, serving steaks and such as a Hare Krishna. Oh, my God. Uh, one other time, uh, a couple of friends of mine were on a, a honeymoon, and uh, um, uh, a third friend, a mutual friend of ours, was going to pick them up at the airport. So my friend said to me, let's do something fun when we pick them up at the airport. So I said, why don't I dress up as a Hare Krishna? I just kept having Hare Krishna. Why don't I, we, I dress up as a Hare Krishna and I'll pass out flowers and like dance around because at that time you could go to the gate. You know, oh, right, 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 right. Pre, pre, pre. So I did that and I'm dancing around singing Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and people are gathered around looking at me, this attention hungry crazy guy passing out these flowers and it was we had all a big laugh about it, it was great but i look back on these things saying yeah i didn't like the prashadam but i i had the prashadam you know i, I yeah I, right and then there was this other thing in the restaurant and this other thing at the airport I just like steps taken so i'm um uh the the guy in brooklyn the devotee in brooklyn he recommends uh, i take a book I said, which one? He said, well, Bhagavad Gita is really good, but anything you take is going to be fine. So I got myself a, a uh, paperback Bhagavad Gita. And Krishna is in charge of timing, we already established, right? Um, I got, uh, I was in the theater company at that point, but we work for, I forget why, but like work stopped. There was like no work. Um, uh, I wasn't working at the, I had, I had left the restaurant to go full time with the theater, but it wasn't working out. And I had I was on unemployment, so this gave me time because I was not a big reader at all. But I had the book, I had the time, so I started reading Bhagavad Gita. And I know the Krishna just gave me that time so I could, you know, get further into it. Right. Um, and I, the more I read the Bhagavad Gita, the more I was sort of blown away. And it's like I got to find these devotees because that, that devotee in Brooklyn said to me, he asked me where I was from. I said, New Jersey. He said, there's a temple in New Jersey. 
It's in Tawako, and he, and uh, I think that's all he told me. Oh, he gave me a phone number. That's right. He gave me the phone number because again, pre-internet. Right. So and I and I gave, I, he gave me the number, and I called the number like a few times. But if anybody knows anything about ISCON <laughs> in the nineties, I can't. I kind of can't believe it. You know. Like I'm saying, like, hi, I just want to find out about the Hare Krishna. Nobody called me back. It's sort of straggling, right? Like <laughs> weird. Yeah. So then I'm on this like, how do I find this place in, in Tawako? And I don't remember how, but I had acquired some uh Japa Mala, which I wasn't chanting on her. I think I was kind of wearing it as love beads because I identified with hippies to some extent. Yeah. I wear them as love beads. And I'm walking around my neighborhood. And I go into the liquor store because I was still doing that. And the guy, one of the guys working at the liquor store, he was an Indian guy. And he said, oh, Hare Krishna. And I said, oh, you, you know about the Krishnas? And he said, yeah. I said, do you know about a, te a, a temple in New Jersey? He said, yeah, Tawako. I said, can you tell me how to get there? And he gave me directions. <laughs> That's amazing. Using a liquor store in Krishna's service. If that ain't dovetailing, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, I want to encourage all your young viewers. No, I better not. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I finally found the temple. Now, for those of those viewers who have never been to Tawako, it's just a mansion, and there's this like grandiose staircase leading up to it. Now, Namras, were you too young? Or do you remember when uh, before they enclosed the porch? I totally remember before they enclosed the porch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they expanded the temple room at one point, but at this yeah. point it was an open porch, and I'm walking up and uh, at, at a long like a table like that you would serve prasadam from. Was uh, were, were two devotees, um, one devotee and a, and a young bhakta, um, and uh, so I walk up there. And I have my really long hair, like down past the nipples, you know, and a black leather jacket on. Um, and the guy, the devotee says, Hare Krishna. I said, hi. He said, can I help you? I said, uh, I just wondering if I could, uh, you know, ask you, ask somebody some questions and find out what this is all about. So then this devotee, he turns to the bhakta and he says the words that literally changed my life. He says, Get Mahamuni. Oh. <laughs> Namrath knows. Yes. So Mahamuni is a devotee who was living as a brahmachari at the time at Tawako. Uh, really sharp. Razor. Super sharp. Sharpest. Super, yeah. Sharp as they come. Yeah. Um, and he was very young, you know, but he was very committed. So um, I meet Mahamuni that day. And we sat and talked on the porch for about 90 minutes. Um, just and, and his answers, first of all, he had answers to every single one of my questions, and I was not expecting that actually. Oh. And um, and every, everything made sense to me. I mean, it was logical. You know, if you if you buy into the premise of the, that there's a God, then just all the dots connected, and it got me really intrigued. Um, and he he gave me some prashadam, which I remembered liking at that point. And he invited me back. There were two programs at the time, a Saturday and a Sunday. And he sort of steered me toward the Saturday program. He said there's like younger people there. And yeah. the Sunday was more family. And what year was that? 96. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and incidentally, I'll throw in 
um, some sometime after that, I don't know if it was some months, probably some months after that, um, you were there as you always were, uh, maybe playing Berdunga, right? You played yeah. six years old. All the old. time, all the time. Because I think you, I don't know, what how old, how old would you have been in 96? 11. Okay, so you were 11 at the time. Yeah. And I'm not making this up. This He said this to me. He says, you see that kid over there? And he pointed to you. And he said, he's special. <laughs> really? He said, that kid is special. Yeah. Mahamuni <laughs> <laughs> well, said that. Yes, he did. Oh, very interesting. He's going to have a podcast one day. I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> well, so he didn't say that, but he did say that about you. Right, that. right. Yeah. So it just snowballed from there. I just uh, I just kept coming back. I, said, I kept getting more and more out of it. My, my mother um, asked me, because I would go there and I would spend four hours there, you know, yeah. program, prashadam, and then just hanging out with the brahmacharis. Yeah you know, until late at night and um, having the best time. And my mother asked me one time, like, because like, what do you do the whole time? And I just tell her, well, you know, we talk about God and, you know, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And she, and she said like, what? She said like, I'm glad you're doing that. Her, her thing was like, uh, everybody should have some religion, you know, whatever it is, everybody should have some religion. So she wasn't really against me doing this. But um, she said, what are you getting out of that? that you didn't get out of going to church. And it was really clear to me, and it wasn't any sort of put down of Catholicism, but it was just that every time I went to temple, especially in the beginning, every time I went to temple, I, I gained some new insight into the human condition, you know? And there was some part of the puzzle, uh, some missing part of the puzzle that was put in place for me. Yeah. So it was really a magical time. Wow. I, I didn't know about that, that you talked to Mom Mooney and for a long time. And that's, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so when was it then? So at the time you were working full time at the theater, you said? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, yeah. So I was in between uh, at that time. But I'm, soon enough, the things, things at the theater picked up. And and that was uh, just a normal uh, theater, like with, uh, was it improv, like, you're doing yeah. now improv, but was it the same thing? Yeah, it was an improv comedy theater. Yeah. So, oh, so you've been doing it since that long? Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't been doing it lately. I haven't done it. In, I mean, I do it on and off now, but I haven't been doing it as regularly as I was for several years at this point. But oh, okay. uh, yeah, it was a good, it was over two decades. At first I was in the, the touring company. So we would tour the show around the country, sometimes out of the country, rarely, but it happened. And then I... um. And then I went from the touring company to the main stage company, and I was doing six shows a week at the theater as my full-time job. And I made a living. It was a meager living. It wasn't much, but I was able to get by. Mm -hmm. um, and then after time, it sort of dissipated. And then when did you kind of, when did it kind of like ramp up so much where you were like, I should commit myself more to this and meeting your spiritual master and all that? Well, um, well, okay, so I I met His Holiness Bhakti Charuswami this the the following year in nineteen no no maybe it was ninety six I'm a little fuzzy on the dates but I think it's ninety six um, maybe I'm sorry I shouldn't try to figure this out while we're on the air anyway, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I started coming to temple around May okay 
Ratha Yatra would have been June, and I met him at a Ratha Yatra. Oh. It was 97. Um, His Holiness Donadar Swami introduced us, because Donadar Swami was living at Tawaka at the time. Right. Uh, he was the first sannyasi I ever met. And um, he knew that I was an actor, and uh, uh, Apichru Maharaj had just started uh, a Baitaran uh, series uh, for Prabhupada Centennial, which was 96. Right. So whether it was 96 or 97, um, he said, uh, he, he brought me at Rathiatra in, Central, in Washington Square Park. He brought me over to Bhakti True Maharaj. And he said, this is Bhakti Joe. And he's an actor in New, an actor in New York. You know, and uh, maybe he can be in your, uh, your TV show. And uh, Bhakti True, so I was like, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, let me take your name and phone number. He took my name and my phone number. And uh, like every other Hollywood producer I ever met, he never called me. <laughs> he didn't call me but for a long time he called me the following year now that was either 97 or 98 so the following year and the reason why he didn't call me because he was still filming in india at the time but when they started filming in uh new york then he called me for that mm -hmm. and i thought he would just have me do some um minor role as a hippie because i had the long hair but he uh, wanted. He thought I looked a little bit like um, Keith Ham, Bhakti Pod. Right. So um, you know, who knows? Maybe all white people look alike to him. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but, um, but so he asked me to do to, to do that role. So I was like, okay, cool, I'll do that. Yeah. And then I started working with him in '98, and. Um, I went to India with him in 1999 and just through kind of observing him and all, because there was a lot of, uh, it, that was a really rough shoot. It was not easy. He had a lot of um, uh, devotees just donating their, their time, just doing the seva, you know. Yeah. Some of them had some experience in the field, but many did not, you know, and they're feeling their way as they went. And a lot of obstacles, a lot of challenges. Um, so I, I got to see him in a lot of different uh, situations and a lot of tense situations and different kinds of things. And 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 a lot of Bhagavatam classes from him too, because we'd start every day with Bhagavatam class. Right. Um, and right around the time of of my being involved in that project, I had sort sort of uh, shifted gears and gone from Tawako to 26 Second Avenue, mm. where uh, Yogya and all Arusha, yeah. um, was was really helping to build up that community. Um, Dayananda Prabhu had been running it with his wife Nandimuti, and they were amazing. You know, when I when I first started going there, I seem to remember like a handful of people. Do you know where he is? I pretty I think he's in California. No, I'm not sure. I'm no, I don't know. I haven't seen him for so many, so like 20 years. I haven't seen him, but yeah. I really appreciated his presence there at the yeah, Second yeah. Avenue program. He did a lot more writing these days. Mm -hmm. I did see him at the Brooklyn Temple once going back several years. Oh. So, but I don't, I don't know where he is now. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, he was doing incredible because he was, um, he was giving the classes, uh, cooking the feasts, uh, leading the kirtans, you know, between he and uh, Nandi Mufi, they were just doing it all. Um, when Yagya, started the ashram in manhattan of which you were a part at some point yeah um he really 
helped to build the community. Um, so as that community was building, I started to think more about uh, taking the next step. And he was also encouraging me. Mm -hmm. he said, You've been around here more than a lot of these other like people at Second Avenue. Um, you know, if you did this, it would you know show people that you know it's natural to take the progressive steps. He wasn't uh, forcing me by any means to do anything. Like I said, I was thinking about it and, and becoming enamored of uh, uh, Bhakti Charu Maharaj. Yeah. So, Did you, yeah. Yeah. Did you, because uh, working as, as a, in the theater, it's kind of, <clears throat> it's like late nights. Uh, it's like the atmosphere is not exactly conducive to some, to like the mode. It's a kind of more, a different mode than mode of, you know, kind of Christian consciousness. Uh, goodness or whatever it is but did you do you kind of uh, feel at odds for uh, regarding your occupation and christian consciousness and how they came together i felt at odds a lot oh really one good thing was that I, I didn't work in a comedy club i worked right. in a theater and there's a big difference because at a club there's a lot of drinking and it's it's a it's a different energy and a different atmosphere in a theater um, there was no liquor license there were soft drinks there were snacks but it was it was um, a little bit more sophisticated, if you want to use that word. But um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, there were still late nights and improvisation. For those of you who don't know, we would take um, ideas from the audience and create uh, songs and sketches uh, based on that audience input. So you know, sometimes, and we were the group. It was a, a smart bunch of people who never. Um, I won't say never, but rarely went for a, the obvious cheap joke and, and uh, were very rarely scatological uh, just for the sake, you know, so of, of whatever. So sometimes language was bad. Sometimes, you know, um, uh, you know, bad language, quote unquote, but, but um, scatological references like the, uh, you know, bathroom kind of humor a little bit. Mm -hmm. we, we tended to stay away from it. Sexual stuff. Uh, sometimes, um, but again, we we usually on the whole try to take the high road. Right. But but just by dint of the routine, which, which is what you're referring to, um, you know, we do two shows on Friday nights and two shows on Saturday nights. So I would get home around two o'clock, one thirty, two o'clock, um, and and it was tough. And what happened was. Um, I, I was sort of growing away from it, from the desire to do it. All oh, right. Because like in the beginning, it was like it was cool to like be performing that late at night, you know, and coming home late and you know, all that stuff. But um, Krishna consciousness at least had was having some effect on my consciousness, uh, and and this is something I really love about it, is that it it was never this idea that I have to stop doing this or i have to do that other thing you know what i love is that i gradually lost the taste for it you know and developed more of a taste for something else um but that was your but that's your occupation that's a little scary though isn't it if you're losing taste for something that you know need you need to kind of like keep things going yeah but um i mean there's other ways that that can manifest other right. than doing like to late shows on Friday and Saturday nights. Right, right. But like people knew not to call me before 10 o'clock in the morning, you know? 
right getting up i i would feel hungover i wouldn't be drinking but i would feel hungover mm-hmm. and and uh, going back to abai charan <clears throat> so you played um kirnanda swami bhakti pad in the in in that and uh you're saying it was a struggle you know there was a lot of obstacles what do you what do you mean like just just because it was people who were unexperienced oh well uh, p- partly i mean probably everything stemmed from that in some way but um we would go from cuz i traveled with him a little bit with them the crew the whole team um and there wouldn't necessarily be uh scheduled uh like you know we'll travel from this spot to that spot and we'll have have this these accommodations and blah 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 so we would uh get in a, a few vans and drive and i remember a couple times where you know i didn't use this phrase but uh it was used by some of the indians who were involved we would pull into a patel motel <laughs> again not me <laughs> so so we'd get out there we we we'd pull over there and bhakti chu swami would say okay wait here and he would go in there and he would talk to these pious indian people um who you know offered him respect and he would tell them our situation in his loving sweet bhakti chu swami way he would always get us get them to donate rooms wow i don't know what the exact arrangements were but we always had rooms that way right so you know not knowing what was coming next just technical issues um it's really tough to make a movie you know uh, uh, and even things that people don't think about like um aligning the sound with the visual you know like right now i'm speaking to you but my my mic is is a part of the camera you know so it's all one piece when you're making movies you got like a boom mic that's over here the camera's back here and they have to sync up at some point in uh post production and we just kept running into a lot of technical difficulties that's just an example uh, what was your overall experience of, i mean we we would we were every time maharaj would come to to walk i remember he'd bring he'd bring like an episode from india this was probably pre usa shooting but he would bring an episode with him and you know we'd roll out the tv in the temple room on a sunday if he on the front of he's and we'd as a kid i'd just like go to the front and like drink in everything that we were watching cuz it was so it was so different from like what i was used to of of like okay we're going to this is a movie but it's a krishna conscious movie and and you know it's just fan- fascinating how that how how it was released and all that stuff your overall impression and experience tell us about that yeah Uh I mean overall it was a great experience because especially because I got to know who became someone who became my guru Maharaj you know Right um right. but it was it was actually also helpful to me as an actor trying to navigate um the difficulties and um you know there's so much I would do differently if I did it again but um but really? it was great yeah cuz I you know uh, and I was a more of a theatrical actor and I did plays too apart from the comedy show uh now and then and I have a little bit of TV and film uh, experience um but uh, uh, you know having a main role like I've done a lot of background work or they um we call them like the extras you know mm, right. not that but uh, having a, a main role very little bit um so ga- gaining that experience um on the set was very valuable to me mm. um so I'm I'm glad we did it 
and I got to engage others in service too because because the the sound and the the visual didn't uh, match up most of the time. All the sound had to be redone. I mean, much of the sound had to be redone. So Maharaj asked me if I could get some of my actor friends to come and read the lines. So there are episodes of I, by Charan where you see me talking, but it's not my voice. Right. I noticed that. Yeah. You can notice that. So yeah. usually I think it is with me because I was available for a lot of it, but I wasn't available for all of it. And the same with all the other actors. Someone's dubbing their voice. You know, right. an actor's voice onto the, the actor's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got, I, I kept bringing in this like stream of actors from my theater to do, um, to do the, uh, the voiceover work. And that made me feel so great because um, they're engaged in service. They took prashadam at the temple, um, and it was it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but just to see um, Bhakti Shri Maharaj uh, navigate through all this stuff was just a lesson um, in uh, in purity, you know. Yeah. The the the, um, the dis- his disappearance. Um, you know, it rocked all of us, you know, because we were all so close with him here in New Jersey, as you know. Uh, but how is it, how has it been for you? Uh, just your experience, you know, a lot of us are going to have to go through similar things with our own, you know, gurus. Um, but how has it been for you with him not here anymore? Any realizations to share? Um, you know, he, he spoke about this. Really? Uh, yeah, in different ways, sometimes about himself, sometimes in general, you know? Okay. I remember um, when Ayendra Prabhu left his body. Um, and that, he, he died in a fire. And uh, Bhakti Shri Maharaj said, you know, a lot of people, he said, I noticed, especially in America, a lot of people want to know, like, well, how did they die? How did they die? And he said, for... A Vaishnava, how you die does not matter. What matters is your consciousness at the time of death. And he was also thinking back to Tamal Krishna Maharaj, immediate uh, car accident. Um, And he said, like, think about Ayendra Prabhu's consciousness, because what was left of his body was found prostrated in front of his altar. Yes. It's remarkable. His body is burning. And what kind of consciousness, the strength of his consciousness must he have had to prostrate himself in front of the altar? It's remarkable. And that struck me when he put it like that. Um, and he, uh, and also, so there are a couple of videos out there, like talks that he gave like a day or two before he got sick. You know, you've seen yeah. those? Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. So it's a little interesting, isn't it? About like things that he talks about. He he was saying how, um, you know, everyone, uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, hi, I'm not going to stay in India and like, you know, kind of like hide from where the where the devotees need me. You know, devotees need me there, so I'm going to go right. You know, I'm going to yeah. go to America. Yeah, everybody was trying to talk him out of going to not only America, but uh, Florida, which had oh. a uh, a really bad reputation of just not giving the virus any respect at all. Right, right. Like ignoring it more or less. And the right. number is really, really high. And well, what sticks out in my mind, the things that uh, 
you said that he was saying were true. I remember him also saying like, what kind of leader am I? Because they are there for right. me. They're there for me. So what kind of leader am I if I say, yeah, you do it and I'm going to stay here and be safe? Just the integrity is just so incredible. <clears throat> so he went out there uh, with that spirit. Um, so, you know, I, I respect him so much uh, for that. And, and I try to really internalize his teachings. I mean, it's, it's also a very famous thing that he has talked about, and it's in his book, when he wept in front of Srila Prabhupada, when Prabhupada told him that he, he was ready to leave his body. Mm. Um, and Prabhupada's answer to him was that, is this what you learned from me? You know, um, you always have access to me. So uh, I was really meditating on that a lot and continue to meditate on that a lot. And I guess what I can say is in some ways, in some ways I have been able to deepen my relationship with him because when I was with him uh, in his Vapu form, um, there was a, uh, I'm trying to find the right words because I wanted to say formality, and there should be a formality, you know, and there should, there should still be a formality. But, but what I'm saying is it was like, um, I, I would get, I'd be nervous, you know, um, uh, and I wouldn't always be very clear with him or, ve or very, uh, or completely open, not because I was holding back, but just because I was a little flummoxed at times, you know, um, and always sort of aware of his time and things like that. Um, in his Vani form, and, and I believe that he is with me in my heart. Guru is with the, uh, is in the heart of the disciple. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something I, I, I really feel is true. Um, I feel like I've been able to meditate um, on his presence in my heart and talk to him in a much more still formal, but open way. And I and uh, I feel like, you know, maybe I, I'm, I, there were things that I at least thought that I was hiding from him. I don't mean anything nefarious, you know. Right. But just you know, um, there, there's there's some kind of barrier there, um, and it's all gone. It's all gone now. If he didn't know then, which I'm open to him having known at that time too, it's certainly gone now. So um, I feel like I have greater access to him and easier access to him and um and and there's a there's a beauty in that and there's a satisfaction in that and that um that can live alongside of uh times of of, of missing him very much so uh, i'm there's 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 the there's in our philosophy like when i was talking to uh, mother jadurani maybe a few podcasts ago, she was where we spoke on Prabhupada's disappearance day and she was talking about, you know, Viraha, like the, the service, the, the separation. This is the, the day then that we kind of meditate on the separation and actually the separation makes us feel closer sometimes than the actual meeting. Yeah. It's like the pralamba, you know, like serving, serving and separation. Mm -hmm. um, that, and that's really struck me 
because uh, you know it, it's scary to think that one day you know all these all of these devotees who we feel like guru figures, so they won't all be here at some point. You'll, we, some of us will have to go go at it alone, you know. Well, yeah, here. in a sense, right? Remember, Prabhupada in said he was never alone. Right. When he came right. to America. That's the um, high realization, right? Yeah, but at, uh, you know, my Guru Maharaj left in 2020. Yeah. And uh, remember, Burijan Prabhu said, and now begins the decade of tears. Yeah. Because he's he's realizing what you're saying, you know, like everybody's getting up there. It's, it's a lot's going to happen in the next 10 years that we're not going to like. Yeah. You've been really involved in uh, 26th Second Avenue, right? Uh, a lot of devotees don't know anything about 26th Second Avenue in the sense of like, okay, we know it's there, but... Do, do people know that it's it's like in the most expensive part of New York or that it's like this little tiny building around and, and there's like all these huge buildings around that have been knocked down and built back up and so, tell us a little bit because even I want to know because I I haven't got any really updates but like the rent is insane high to to, to kind of uh, you know maintain that place so how are you leading that and is that is is that correct how is it going? Um, yeah, so since I, I came to 26 Second Avenue just before its sort of big revival, like the, the congregation got really big, um, I've been there for a long time, and it just, you know, if you stick around long enough, you're the one who. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm part. Yeah. Well, so I'm part of the team that okay. manages Second Avenue on the board of directors. Yeah. Um. So in many ways, I'm the most hands-on one. Um. Because the board of directors now, people are, are scattered. I mean, in in New Jersey, I live in New Jersey, and um, I probably live the closest. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the, uh, the Lower East Side uh, and the Bowery, everybody reads about Prabhupada on the Bowery and Lila Marita, and it ain't the same neighborhood. It ain't the same neighborhood. It went way upscale several years ago, and like you're mentioning. So high-rise luxury apartments, literally right next door. That gas station. That gas station, yeah, the gas station. Yeah. Um, got bought out and, and leveled, and they built up this luxury high-rise. So, um, yeah, everything is upscale. Um, a lot of devotees think that um, ISKCON owns 26-second Avenue. Wow. That is a misconception. We do not own 26 Second Avenue. You were talking about the rents. Um, we pay rent. So some people actually even think, devotees think that we've had it since 1966. Prabhupada got it in 1966, but the congregation started to get too big. And by, I think it was 69, maybe it was 70, I think it was 69. Thereabouts, they said, we got to find a bigger space. So they found 61 Second Avenue, which is a few blocks uptown from where that is. And they weren't thinking in terms of um, historic value. Right. They're just like, we need a bigger place. So goodbye to that one and hello to this one. So from around 1969 or so, um, for 20 years, it was just another store on the Lower East Side. And then in 1990, um, a few devotees re uh, found out or came to know that uh, it was back on the market. And then... And it, with, with that perspective of like, oh, we should try to get it back, because then you understand 
20 years later, like this is a historic first temple, first temple. So, um, they got it back. They got it back and, um, we're paying rent that, uh, that first lease that they got was, I think 15 years that was followed by a three year lease. And now we are in the fourth, I think year of a 12 year lease. Oh, so it's a matter of, so, and, and the, the thing is the, the, what's really worth noting here is that second Avenue has no congregation. There's no 26 second Avenue congregation. At some point, uh, the, the action went from 26 second Avenue around the corner to what is now known as Bhakti center. Right. Yeah. So literally we, there was a sign up on the door saying all programs at 25 first Avenue and literally for years, nothing was going on at second Avenue. The rent was being paid strictly to hold on to this historic place. Uh, and then at some point, Abhinavedana and his wife started a Bhagavad Gita program there. Um, and then he's been doing that for several years. And then um, a few years ago, um, a Russian Sangha asked if they could do it. So, um, so the Russians were doing Friday nights. Atma and his wife were doing Saturday nights. And they were both paying rent to support and use the space. So, so they're working independently of each other and independently of Second Avenue as an entity in, in a way. So, um, uh, you know, Atma and Subi have their thing. The Russians have their thing. And those, you know, it's literally Russian speaking, you know, for Russian speaking people, because there's a lot of devotees like that in New York. Yeah. So, um, so they don't um, mingle. They're, they're not adversarial. I don't mean to say that, but they're just separate communities. So there is no Second Avenue community who can, you know, donate and, uh, and keep it afloat because everybody who's donating to support programs is doing so at Bhakti Center from that group that was at Second Avenue. Therefore, we had to reach out. So we reached out, uh, put a few ads out on dundavats.com and whatever. And um, we've been able to build up uh, devotees from literally around the world, mostly around this area, mm -hmm. but, uh, but elsewhere in the country and, uh, and globally. Uh, devotees to, to commit to monthly pledges which is the important thing. One-time donations are great, you know, large, small, whatever, they're great, but to sustain any venture, you need a consistency. So the monthly donations are really what keep us afloat. Um, and we started a campaign two or three years ago um, to have many, many devotees give small amounts of money because you know maybe it's taxing on people. Yeah. And Jai Dwayta Maharaj gave us this great gimmick. He said, why not ask for $26 for 26 Second Avenue? So we did this whole 26 for 26 campaign. And it was very um, successful. And right now we're doing okay. Um, and I say that with a little uh, trepidation because very often people fall off and uh, new people come on. Sometimes they don't come on. Sometimes they just fall off. So it's back and forth. It's, it's, it's constantly moving. Where can uh, people get more information about that? Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> you can go to KrishnaNYC.com. Okay, Krishna with a... Uh, long spelling. Yeah. Long spelling. K-R-I-S-H-N-A-N-Y-C. That's for New York City. Dot, uh, oh, uh, yeah. 
I'm sorry. What I, yeah, that's the the website. I'm giving you the website. ChristianNYC.com. That's, that's it. Yeah. And so if you want to if you want to help uh, keep Twenty Six Second Avenue afloat, uh, keep it within the the ISKCON community and and programs going there, please visit that website KrishnaNYC.com where you can get more information of how to how to donate. Uh, and it's like some like the rents are crazy. What is it? Twenty twenty something? It's uh yeah we're at uh over twenty eight hundred dollars. Twenty eight hundred dollars a month. Twenty eight hundred U.S. dollars a month to keep twenty to, to keep twenty six Second Avenue. Is it is it a burden sometimes to try to to um keep it going even though there's like maybe just two programs going? Have you ever thought like, am I are we getting too sentimental to keep to you know to really kind of keep this around and we maybe that money can be used somewhere else or like what's your thought on that? Honestly, that has crossed my mind. Yeah, I wondered about it because um, the building itself is in terrible shape. It's old. It's not well kept. We're a small storefront, um, and um, many devotees say, "Like, well, why don't you just buy it?" Which is, it's just not that simple, for a few reasons. Um, and when we when we um, renegotiated this past lease a few years ago, um, we did bring up. The possibility of that and the owners were not um they just didn't want to sell they they, they said we want to keep it in the family so um the land do they know do they know the the like the, the historical importance yeah. to to us they do the the landlord um his father was was in charge uh and knew Prabhupada well and liked Prabhupada a lot oh wow and i'm pretty sure the landlord now he he has memories of Prabhupada, but he was young he was young, um, but uh, so they want to keep it in the family. And yes, they do know. So they could have us over a barrel in a sense because they do know uh, how significant it is for us. Um, but uh, but also, so we're we, there's there's our storefront. There's also an, another storefront um, on the other side of the entrance of Second Avenue, which is part of that property. And then there's a courtyard, and it's an apartment building across the courtyard and on the storefront side of the courtyard. So it's a much bigger ordeal. And um, and so it's, and it's a lot of money too. Now, we might be able to get that money. Um, and it looks like um, the GBC may be considering making 26 Second Avenue one of the uh, global concerns, you know, like along with um, Vrindavan and Mayapur. This would be like a third global ISKCON concern because it's not just um, like, why don't the devotees take care of it, right? Uh, it's not just uh, of importance to New Yorkers. Um, yeah. This this spot has literally global importance for certain people around the globe. Everybody has a stake in 26 Second Avenue. So um, if we are able to buy it at some point, then uh, we might get the support of the institution. Uh, we'll I, remember, I remember when I lived at the Bhakti Center, one of my services was that when devotees would come like during the summertime, I would go and give them tours of that place. So I, I experienced like international devotees coming there, like from really far away places and they would come there and they would, they would cry. They would cry on more than a few occasions. They would come in there and they would be, I'd be like, Oh, this is 26 second Avenue. You know, this is where Prabhupada first game, blah, blah, blah. You know, like do the whole, my whole spiel, but they would, Oh my goodness. And I, and I, to this day, I cannot forget some of the, 
experiences I had giving tours to some devotees and just how, how like this international society started from this tiny storefront. Are you kidding me? Right. Like amazing. It is, it is totally so important to, you know, when people see, uh, uh, people that they've seen on television, when they see them in person, yeah. it, 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 the reaction usually, oh, I thought it was much bigger than that. <laughs> it does it the opposite. They come in and like, oh, uh, well, no, it's, it's the same thing. I thought it was much bigger than that. It's still, right. it's, it's a very small space. It's a very small space. And um, my wife, Akanta Bhakti, and I both, um, it's one of our favorite services to show people um, Second Avenue who have never been there before. Because yes. as you say, it's easy being in New York just to sort of take it for granted. But um, it's become a lot more difficult for me to take it for granted when I'm showing the space to these people who are in awe, as you describe, often in tears, and just it makes their whole day. I had somebody, a family last week who came from Canada for two days. Um, they came to America for, it was more than two days. They were in New York two days. Um, they went to Alachua. But the main reason they came was to go to Second Avenue and Tompkins really? Square Park. Really? Wow. Yeah. So because Tompkins Square Park and Second Avenue are sort of in tandem with each other. And uh, and it really means a lot to people. And we hope to get to a place, you know, we want to turn it into sort of a living museum of sorts. Mm -hmm. um, and so Radhanath Swami has talked about this a lot and, um, and sort of maybe taking it back to the way it looked in 1966 and there's been a lot of research done um, from the people who were there on exactly what it looked like so the people when they step into second avenue they step into 1966 and Prabhupada's second avenue and um, um and give tours and be able to, so as it is now if you want to visit second avenue unless you make an appointment chances are you're going to go there and it's the gates down and it's locked which yeah. is most people's experience. Yeah. So that's why on our website it says if you want to visit, please write to info at and um, schedule an appointment because that way at least we can set it up so someone like you, like you know, I try to get in there. If, otherwise, I would call the ashram. Can somebody kind of open up for these people who are coming in? Yeah. Try to make it work. So, so is the that person who's the son of the the original guy? Does he own the whole building? Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. So isn't there a risk of him of like some big tycoon coming like, I'll give you $30 million for that building so I can build my, you know, my just to match the rest of the scenery that's going on there. Like, Because if you look at it, like I noticed it just a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago when I went, it's like it's 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 kind of jarring. It's like all these huge buildings and then this tiny building like in the midst of those big buildings. So what's what's it like how do we work around that yeah there's a chance i mean the only thing um you know with previous leases we had what's called a right of first refusal which means that the, they would come to us first if somebody else was interested they would say well we've given this the right oh. of first refusal to them so let me go to them and see if they can match what you're saying um but we don't have that on this current lease. They were not willing to give us that. So um, what you're describing could feasibly happen. Um, we have a pretty good relationship with the landlord. My hope would be that he would come to us and say, hey, look, I have a, an interested buyer. Um, do you wanna 
you know, give us give us an opportunity, basically. Um, but again, as of a few years ago, they weren't even in, introduced uh, in, 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 interested. I'm sorry, they weren't even interested in selling at that point. And that said, we're thinking two things: a, they could change their mind, right? Yeah. And b, if they hear the right number, then they don't care if it's not kept in the family. And you know, so if a developer comes in and offers them thirty million, maybe that's the number. Who knows? What What do they mean by keep in the family? Like, what What's the point of that? Uh, you know, like any other heirloom, it's been in the business. So I don't know. You you know, you referred to the landlord's father as the original guy. I don't know if he was the original guy. Oh, okay. Maybe he was, but maybe it went even before him. Mm-hmm. So it went from him to his son, uh, from his son to the next family to the next family. You know, it's a it's a legacy of sorts for people. Interesting. It's such an important, it's such an important place. And I understand, you know, some devotees might say, oh, you know, what's the point in, in trying to maintain something that's, you know, that's like very, um, you know, it's like a struggle to, to come bring that money together every month. But, but there's so much value in the, in the history of yeah preserving the history. Yeah. You know, recently um, they, 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 they got the, uh, the property of uh, Prabhupada's birthplace, right? Right, right in Calcutta, yeah. 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 Um, one senior devotee who has, uh, who's very respected and admired and um, um, and holds various high positions within the society, um, I was in touch with recently, and he said, to in effect, um, that to me, 26 Second Avenue is more important than Prabhupada's birthplace. Mm. So, and then there are different perspectives on that, of course. But I think a lot of people agree with uh, with what you're saying. Birthplace of the Krishna consciousness movement. Yeah. Very, very. So, um, Prabhu, like, so what are you doing nowadays? Now, you know, it's been it's been a long time since you, you know since Abhay Charan and all the, and all the, you know, when you first joined. So what have you been up to lately? I know you, you've been doing kind of comedy stuff for, for like devotees in the sense of, you know, there was, I remember Kuli Mela 2006. <laughs> okay. For those of you who don't know, there was Kuli Mela in 2006 and Yuvandavan and Yadunath Prabhu was a, did, did a standup routine there. And his starting, his opening line was, um, I see a lot of guru coolies here. Do uh, you bring your lawyers? <laughs> I, I think a lot of people were like, I was like in the audience and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. But everyone took it. I think people took well, it in a good well, way. First, there was a wave of like, oh, right, the moan, which I appreciated. <laughs> but, uh, but then I said, ah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And right. they, good. They, they, they came on my side very quickly. The other one I remember is um, that kid's doty was so big that there was uh, a Mexican on one side and a border patrol on the other side. Not the doty, the border on the doty. The border on the doty, yeah, yeah, right. Right, so good. <laughs> nice. Um, what, one thing, though, you, you just mentioned about Abai Charan being uh, – I, I have to tell you one more memory. Please, please, and yeah. It's not related to the actual production, but like – so as an actor – uh, I'm, um, what's the word? Help me out here. Uh, oh yeah. Egomaniac. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look at me, look at me, look at me. Right. So it's because of a Charan that I received international fame. 
international thing. We were, um, Kenta Bhakti and I were in, uh, I think it was, yeah, Calcutta Airport. We'd been to Mayapur. We're on our way home. And somebody approaches me and says, excuse me, were you in Abaicharan? No. <laughs> Can you believe that? Really? Yes. Yes. Like, when was this? This was probably around 2005. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Yeah. And and she takes me back, and her family's there, and the little kids were all excited, you know? And, <laughs> and they, you know, they asked me, they said, like, whatever happened to Kirtanananda? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And I don't, I said, oh, yeah, no, he, uh, blah, 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 blah. I don't know whatever I said. But, um, but I, I thought to myself, like, see this, my Guru Maharaj has blessed me, right? Because all these like things that I'm after that can like uh, keep me tethered to this world, you know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm no big shot actor, you know, like I said, I was able to do it. It was very like, you know, in New York stage stuff, meager living, um, uh, just like, like these recognitions, he's given me more than one, but that was like outstanding one, you know, um, Give, gives my ego enough, like, okay, I, I don't need to come back to do this, you know? Right, I, I'm right. able to play it out to some extent, yeah. to enough of an extent. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, I have continued to be involved with um, uh, comedy and improvisation. I do a lot more background work in TV and, and movies now, which is fun. It's, like, completely unglamorous, but I, uh, I'm interested in in uh, movie making and stuff. So um, it, it's interesting for me to like be on the set and just uh, to be in that environment. Uh, and also I'm teaching at a, a school in, in Manhattan, a comedy and improvisation. And I find that really um, satisfying too. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, um, and I get to share uh, <clears throat> some veiled Krishna consciousness uh, from time to time, um, without sort of being, uh, uh, you know, inappropriate about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. So devotees, devotees, uh, who joined kind of in your years of Krishna consciousness, it's a lot of them either don't practice anymore or kind of on the periphery or just doing their own thing. How do you feel that you, you kind of sustain your Krishna consciousness throughout these years, staying inspired? And I always like to ask that to, to devotees who have been devotees for a, a long time. That, And also in, in kind of, you know, North America is not the easiest place to be a devotee. Like there's, you got to like really seek out your association. You really have to um, plug into different programs and things. It's not like, you know, it's not like I always say England because I lived in England too for a few years and, and it was like, everything just going and you just kind of like go with the flow and you're kind of have a sadhu sangha by automatically happens. It's not like that in America. I feel my opinion, but how do you feel you sustain your Krishna consciousness throughout these years? Um, I feel like I've been really blessed, you know, yeah. and um, we're a little bit spoiled in New York because there's so much going on. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I try to take, uh, everything very seriously, you know, so, uh, and my vows, um, and, you know, these things that you hear all the time, uh, reading, 
you know, reading Prabhupada's books is not just so you learn the philosophy. It's maybe that in the beginning, but it becomes um, your source of inspiration. So, um, so reading Prabhupada's books keeps me going and keeps me reminded because it is, it, it can be so difficult in North America and uh, in New York specifically. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's a funny sort of uh, paradox almost because I'm saying that we're spoiled in New York because there's so much going on. At the same time, New York is the Rajasa capital of the world maybe, you know, both are going on. But I do feel sheltered. I feel protected by my Guru Maharaj and I want so much to please him um, and, uh, I, one important thing I can say is that I try to surround myself with devotees, um, with whom I can relate. So ISKCON is a big place and you can find all sorts of people. You can find, you can very, it's very easy to find people, um, that think completely opposite to the way you think. <laughs> no one knows that perhaps more than you. <laughs> you televise them. <laughs> That's definitely someone who I don't agree with. Thanks for telling me, Namras. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I try, you know, in New York, there, there are enough devotees that um, who see things the way I do. And so we sort of nurture each other. We protect each other. Um, I'm, I'm involved with a, in a Sangha group uh, that we have, you know, since the pandemic, it's been, it's been difficult. Um, but, but I still feel deeply connected with those people. And we're going to get back together, I know, at some point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're, when you're in a group of people and most of them are, as you describe, sort of, doing their own thing or not staying so interested, then it's easy to fall into that yourself. Um, but if you're um, in a group of people who are still committed and still have some kind of strength in their enthusiasm, then, then you're going to want to do that. Yeah. So when I think like that, I think that's cool, but let me also be that person for them. So I'm not just looking for those people who can do it for me, but let me be that person who can maybe do it for them. And then we just sort of feed each other, you know, this constant um, feeding of inspiration. Yeah. And it's still, you know, after all this time, man, it's still the, the, the thing that makes the most sense to me. And the world, the world, there's so much detestable stuff going on in the world. And, then, and I rail against a lot of it, but it's a reminder to me. It's like, yeah, this is, this is the reality. Do I want to come back to this? Because it's only going to get worse. So I find these things that really make me, you know, incensed sometimes. I mean, I'm, not, I'm no pure devotee. I get like really wrapped up in it, but I'm able to, or and I should say, I'm able to um, remember uh, part of the reason why, the world situation as it is. Yeah. And that is to boost us to go to some place where it's not like this. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I get caught up in like very um like details of things and then you forget 
actually we're not meant to be so much involved here like we're trying to do something that's beyond all this yeah. but but sometimes we get so ca- i get caught up in in like worldly things and then you know how they say krishna consciousness is simple for the simple and complex for the crooked so it's like try to keep things simple and 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 see things i love i like what you said it, it reminds you uh, you know that you haven't seen anything better like there's no other there's nothing better than this actually. And that's the truth. Like you see everything that's going on in the world. There's it's um, it's always going to have its end. It's going to always be miserable in the end, not to be negative, but the truth is that, you know, Krishna consciousness uh, is the only viable solution to all problems in life. Yeah. There's this uh, thing, this dichotomy where you could be, seen as being very negative. Well, that's a very negative outlook, you know? Yeah, yeah. To me, it's very positive. It's very positive. You know, you don't, um, it, it, it's completely useless to um, sugarcoat any aspect of reality. Yeah. Right? So, and I, I came from that. I, you know, I came from this like hippie ethic of, um, you know, love can save the world. And I kind of still believe that, but it's a different kind of love. Yeah. Um, because by by calling the material world out for what it is, um, only by calling out the material world for what it is, can you transcend it? Can you deal with it at all? Because well, it's not too bad. Well, you have to expect that you know um, a whole you know classroom full of six-year-olds are going to die in gunfights. Yeah, you have to expect that, you know? Why? What kind of bargain is that that you're settling for? You don't have to accept that. Uh, Or any of the other myriad of things that are out there that are just detestable ways to live that we have accepted as as normal. So, excuse me, so to call those things out and say, like, this is deplorable, that's ridiculous. You know, the things that we accept are absurd. You know, no sane person should have to accept these things. To me, that is being pragmatic. And once you, and, and by accepting Krishna consciousness, that's that's where the positive comes in. It's it's the positive energy of like that's what that is. But there's a there's a a, a true reality where there's an absolute truth, an absolute realm, and 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 it's not pie in the sky when you die either, because if, if one commits themselves to the process, then you can have this consciousness, this spiritual consciousness that you will have in the, in the spiritual world. You can have that in the material world right now, if I only choose to do it. Yeah. And if I choose to do it, then I can navigate that. And then, yeah, it's, I, I, I can feel the pain. I can feel the compassion. I can empathize with the suffering that's going on. But it's not so infuriating and 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 I don't feel so helpless and and you know just accepting my own like death through drowning in an ocean of of, of pain. Right. And to me that's, that's very positive. And I have left the Bhakti Center after exhilarating times there and stepped out into the Lower East Side. And, and anybody who does it will tell you this, <laughs> right? And it's, it's like, oh wow, I forgot. You know, you look around, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and you see people laughing and all this, and it just 
strikes me, I, I, I don't mean to judge anybody, because again, I'm really kind of seeing myself in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can see and I can remember like, like I'm, I'm kind of forcing myself to embrace this. I'm forcing myself to have a good time, because if I don't have a good time, then what is there? There's nothing. I have to have pleasure because pleasure will bring me happiness. But that's a lie. Yeah. That's a lie that most people tell themselves. So coming out of the bhakti stars, go, oh, yeah, oh, I forgot. Okay. And you just, it just can take me through that back into the car or back onto the train that takes me home where my altar is, you know? Um, and, 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 and it, you know, it sustains me in my consciousness coming from programs like that, even all, along the route. So you were saying, it's possible. you were saying we have to choose. I feel like, I feel like it's like a daily battle to continue to keep choosing it. It can be a moment to moment battle potentially. Yeah. Moment to moment. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely, certainly daily. Yeah. You know, you know, even, even if it's like, Oh, it's whatever time you're waking up like, well, I could stay in another half hour. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the body needs that. So I'm not being like all hardcore like that, but if it's just like I'd like to have a half hour, or I can get up and do some sadhana, right. make that choice to get up. So, and I use that as an example because waking up in the morning is particularly difficult for me. Mm. I was always a very late sleeper, and then after you know decades of you know late late nights, don't call me before ten o'clock in the morning. Um, it's quite an adjustment. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Beautiful realization. I like to ask you a little bit about humor. Um, something that I struggle with with humor is that I feel like people judge me according to my humor in the sense of that, oh, he's just – that's like a very shallow thing. He's just kind of out for a cheap, quick laugh. But for you, I see that there's like a real depth coming out. I, 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 I knew it, of course, but from speaking to you on this podcast, there's a depth there. How do you – how do you – like do you care what people think about you or um, – Definitely. Like they, 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 that off, you know, off the bat, they won't see that there's depth or spirituality or something there, particularly devotees. But they'll, they, or they'll see you on like the mantra retreat, or they'll see you at Kuli Mail and be like, "Oh, this guy's just funny," and that's just how all he is. You know, I, uh, I desperately uh, care about what people think of me, and I, so I fight against it, and, um, and something I tell my students is, which is something that I believe is that it's none of my business what other people think of me. Really. It's because yeah. it's their trip. You know, they're making their own determinations based on whatever they see. If they want to make a one-dimensional determination, then that's on them. But I have thought about that kind of thing, like um, not wanting to be seen as just a clown. But don't get me wrong. I love making people laugh. And the fact that I can make devotees laugh is even more me. It's the most <laughs> meaningful to me. And I'm serious about this. Like I performed in front of uh, like a thousand people at once. And all out of all the shows I've done, like thousands, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of shows, my favorite shows have been the ones for devotees because they're so appreciative. And I feel like, um, not that other people aren't appreciative, but just, you know, it's serving devotees. It's serving devotees. Yeah. You know? So, and so I have had that, that thing where I wanted to, uh, you know, like, well, you know, I want to be deep too. I want to have some depth too. Um, uh, but, but that's the, always the uh, kind of comedy that has appealed to me. Um, 
Richard Pryor, um, Bill Hicks, uh, George Carlin, people who, um, I also love the silly stuff too, you know, but, um, but using comedy as a way to get across a message has always appealed to me. I, I'm not great at it. I think I've dipped my toes in there and sometimes it has worked fairly well, other times not. Um, but uh, I love the idea of using this art form as a way to uh, get a message across, uh, talk about things that matter. Um, you know, when I first started coming around, I was very um, conscious of keeping those two worlds separate. You know, like the, the comedy thing, that's, that's what I do in the world. And the, uh, you know, spirituality, that's serious stuff. Right. And um, Donna Darswami was extremely instrumental in encouraging me to bring that in, you know, to not keep that separate. Um, Satyaraj Prabhu, another person who was quite instrumental um, in helping me bring that in. Um, and then, you know, Gauravani Prabhu gave me um, a platform at one of the first festivals of inspiration. I think it was the second festival of inspiration. Um, he he did this Pamho event, which he turned into DVD. And I forgot how he came to know about what I do, but um, he invited me to, to come in and perform. And that was a real turning point for me. So he was also instrumental. And then Anutama Prabhu, um, who came up to me the day after the performance, and he was just, we need this. He's like, <laughs> he's like I'm not you know, just patting you on the back here. But for a long time, um, most of us in this society have not been able to laugh at ourselves. And yeah. you're providing that. And it was really moving to me. So wow, the, the, wait a minute, there is some value just be, uh, beyond just silliness and yuck, yuck, yuck. And he was telling me, yeah. So I started to go in that direction uh, more. So these days, I'm a little bit, um, better off in terms of uh, letting people um, have their own judgments and trying to be aloof from that. I'm not 100% there, but um, I try to to keep, not, not have that, you know, gnaw at me as much. I just try to do what I do and try to serve. I never mean to offend. It's not, I'm never out to do that. Um, and um, yeah, I guess I'll leave it there. That that's yeah. Piggy, piggybacking on that same question, just humor, humor in general in Krishna consciousness. What has been your realizations with that? Because we see, uh, you know, it's a it's very grave in some sort of ways. You know, we're talking about the existence of soul and 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 that this world is is temporary and and there's nothing really funny in that. But and then our relationship with Krishna and Krishna, you know, and all that stuff, all the all their philosophical, theological things. There's not really humor in that. So where is there, where is the position of humor in Krishna consciousness? Well, I found a lot of it in in the devotees. Right. <laughs> Agreed. And <laughs> their execution of the things that they're right. 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 And the execution of bhakti. Um, so yeah, I, I, I tried to bring out a lot of uh, fanaticism, like let's be careful here. Right. Um, 
And I know we've fallen prey to that uh, in the past. Um, and uh, I've said it to so many first generation devotees, but um, so many of us owe a, a, a debt of gratitude uh, to them um, because, you know, they toiled and it was, there was turmoil. There was real sacrifice and real austerity for most of them, you know. Um, I couldn't have made it, you know, these, you know, cold baths and no heat and sleeping on the concrete and all this stuff, real austerities that they went through. So a guy like me, a smart aleck from New Jersey could walk into an already established movement yeah. and take advantage of it. So I thank each and every Prabhupada disciple for all the uh, seva that you did in helping him to do what uh, he wanted to do for Lord Chaitanya. Um, um so that said there was a lot of mistakes that that first generation made naturally how could there not be you know and you can look at any religion um with the same thing so a lot of the playfulness comes from that here's an example um the first sketch i ever wrote for devotees um is was called uh, bhagavad gita as it isn't <laughs> so um and i did this at that uh festival of inspiration uh, among other places, but it's basically um, using Bhagavad Gita as a template. And instead of uh, a, a, a battlefield, it takes place at a, um, a venue and a husband and wife comedy team are going to do a show. And uh, my wife, the, the comedian, I, uh, she, um, she wants to see, like, take me to see who's in this audience. <laughs> so we go there and like, Oh, there's that one, and there's that one, there's that one. And like, oh, I can see no no good to coming from this, making fun of such wonderful devotees as this person and that person. And just sort of mirroring Bhagavad Gita and then taking it through the paces of more the, the sort of um, uh, mark posts, land po what's the expression? Um, anyway. Milestones. Milestones in Bhagavad Gita, yeah, recognizable verses and quotes. Right, right. Taking it through that. Uh, so she learns the lessons that, no, you got to do your duty. You're a comedian, so you have to do the thing. So uh, I did this at a rehearsal. And um, one devotee, a very well-meaning, sincere devotee, came up to me and said, like, Prabhu, you, you really shouldn't uh, make fun of Bhagavad Gita. And he talked to me about it. And blah, 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 blah. And I really did listen to him. And I said, I am going to think about what you said. And I did. I thought about it. meditated on it. And I decided to do it. Because um, what I what I came to the conclusion I came to was that I was not making fun of Bhagavad Gita, I was not making fun of Krishna, I was not making fun.